You're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. This episode is brought to you by Greenwich Biosciences, the U.S. leader in the field of cannabinoid prescription medicines. The content of this podcast is intended for U.S. healthcare professionals only. Your host is Dr. Charles Turk and will be joined by Dr. Elizabeth Thiel, who is not a representative of the company or any of those mentioned in this program. Here is Dr. Turk now. Because tuberous sclerosis complex can cause abnormalities in the brain, kidney, heart, and lungs, reaching a timely and accurate diagnosis may often be difficult. So to help us overcome this challenge, today we'll be reviewing what we know about this disease and even get a look ahead at what's on the horizon. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and joining me in this discussion is neurologist and epileptologist Dr. Elizabeth Thiel. Dr. Thiel is a professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School, the director of the Pediatric Epilepsy Program, and she also established the Carol and James Herscott Center for Tuberous Sclerosis Complex. Dr. Thiel, thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So why don't we start at the beginning, Dr. Thiel? How does tuberous sclerosis complex usually present itself? Oh, that's a really good question because it can present in different ways. Tuberous sclerosis complex is a very interesting disorder because it can involve almost every organ system. The brain and the skin are the two most frequently involved, and they're involved in about 90% of people with TSC. Oftentimes, TSC is diagnosed following the onset of seizures in early childhood. About 85% of people with tuberous sclerosis will have epilepsy, 70% with onset the first year of life. So it's often onset of seizures in a young infant that will lead to the diagnosis. But sometimes it's diagnosed other ways. The cardiac or heart manifestation of TSC is a cardiac rhabdomyoma, which is a benign tumor of the heart, which is most common in late fetal or early infancy. So sometimes in the late gestation ultrasound, the question of possible TSC will be raised by the identification of several cardiac rhabdomyomas. We also have some of our patients that have been diagnosed by the skin findings or even the renal findings. So it can be diagnosed by by different organ system manifestations, but probably epilepsy is the most common symptom that leads to the diagnosis. And do we know what causes TSC and if there's a genetic component to it? Yeah, we know that there's two genes that have been identified, the TSC1 gene on chromosome 9 and the TSC2 gene on chromosome 16. And we've been able to identify a disease-causing mutation in one of those two genes in about 85% of people who meet the clinical criteria for the diagnosis of TSC. We didn't know if there was a TSC3 or TSC4, but in the past few years, I think the thoughts are now that many people in whom we cannot identify a disease-causing mutation in the blood are likely low-level mosaics, meaning they have TSC because of mutation in one of the two genes, uh, but it happens sometime during their development where it does not affect enough cells in the body to identify it from the blood. Since TSC is a multi-system genetic disease with many different symptoms of varying severity, do you happen to have any best practices to share with respect to diagnosis? I think that it really depends on what the presenting symptom is. I think that if a baby comes in with new onset seizures that have a focal onset or some focality to it, then neuroimaging is standard of care these days, and that would often lead to the diagnosis. If a dermatologist is seeing a adolescent for what they believe may be acne, and the dermatologist realizes it instead facial angiofibroma is seen in TS, then the dermatologist in the office that day could make the definite diagnosis by looking at the rest of the skin and seeing if there are other skin manifestations. Since epilepsy is so common, I think that we're getting better and better at finding the etiology of epilepsy with gene panels in young children, and that would pick up a TSC1 or TSC2 mutation in some 
and overall just an appreciation that this is a disorder that does not just affect the brain, does not just affect the skin, but can affect the heart, the kidneys, the lungs. It's also difficult because these different manifestations can occur at different times during the lifespan. So in babies and young children, you look for the skin features, the brain features, and the heart rhabdomyoma. As people age, it's more likely to get renal involvement and pulmonary involvement. So it really depends at what point in time of a person's life that you're considering the diagnosis, how you go about securing the diagnosis. Even though we do have genetic testing available, the diagnosis continues to be made by clinical criteria. And the clinical criteria include major features and minor features. And the major features are things that are seen very commonly in TSC and not so much in the general population, like in the brain, the cortical tubers, which are areas of dysgenesis or subependymal nodules or subependymal giant cell tumors. And the skin, as we said, facial angiofibroma, the hypopigmented macules, shagreen patch, periungal fibroma, all of these things are major criteria. And any two of them would secure a definite diagnosis. Major criteria also involve the other organs, such as kidney, lung, and heart, and eye with hematoma of the retina, which typically do not affect vision, but can be very helpful in determining if a person has TSC or not. For those just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and I'm speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Thiel about tuberous sclerosis complex. Dr. Thiel, we were just speaking about the available diagnostic tools, so now let's shift our focus and talk about treatment options. Would you give us a brief overview of the treatment landscape for TSC? So the treatment is largely treating the symptoms of TSC. So for managing the epilepsy, which again affects 85% of people with TSC, it really is very similar to managing other vocal etiologies of seizures. Most of the anti-seizure medications could be effective. About two-thirds of individuals with TSC will develop refractory epilepsy. So refractory epilepsy is quite common in TSC. And dietary therapy can be effective. Epilepsy surgery can be very effective. With the identification of the TSC1 and TSC2 proteins being part of the mTOR pathway or the mechanistic target of rapamycin pathway about 20 years ago, led to really the identification that mTOR inhibitors such as rapamycin or everolimus can be effective. And actually, they've been FDA approved for several of the symptoms of tuberous sclerosis complex, including renal angiomyelipoma, subependymal giant cell tumors and pulmonary lymphangioliomyomatosis. There's a lot of excitement kind of now with the evolving genetic therapies that hopefully in the future there will also be a genetic treatment of TSC, but we're just not there yet. You touched on it just a little bit just now, but what are some promising research areas? Are there any potential novel treatments on the horizon? There's been a lot of enthusiasm over the past several years about the role of the mTOR inhibitors. Also, cannabidiol was FDA approved for the treatment of seizures associated with TSC, and there was a lot of enthusiasm about that. I think that people are now stepping back and saying, gee, we know the role of mTOR inhibitors, and if we start patients on mTOR inhibitors, we view that as long-term therapy. What happens with the mTOR inhibitors is the renal angiomyopoma will shrink, the subependymal giant cell tumors will shrink, but if the treatment is stopped, there will be regrowth. So many people are thinking, could there be a more definitive treatment? And like I said, the concept of genetic treatments is very exciting. And in some disease spaces, including epilepsies, there are emerging genetic therapies. So I think that there is a lot of hope and excitement that there will be that possibility in tuberous sclerosis complex as well. 
And finally, Dr. Teal, as we've learned, TSC has far-reaching effects on not only our patients' lives, but also on their loved ones. So what are some resources to which our audience might point family members as they embark on their caretaking journey? Tuberous sclerosis complex is a very complicated disorder. And as we said, it can affect multiple organ systems and can affect different organ systems at different times during a person's life. So this disorder has significant impact, not only on the patient, but on the family. And I've had families describe living with TSC as, quote unquote, walking in a minefield, not knowing when you're going to step on the next landmine. Another family said, you know, we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. So the uncertainty of what course the disease will have, as well as the different symptoms of the disorder, especially the epilepsy, cognitive impairment, autism, other behavioral aspects, really have significant, significant impact. And I think it's important to acknowledge that when you're taking care of a person with TS, you're also taking care of that person's family. So I think that the TS Alliance, which is the patient advocacy group for people living with TSC in the United States, and there's different TS similar organizations kind of worldwide, really, really important. Not only giving references for resources on education about the disorder, helping identify care providers in the area, the patient lives that that would have experience with TSC, also just other types of support and a connection with other people living with the disorder. So I think the patient advocacy groups for TSC, as well as other rare disorders, are very important to people living with these disorders. That's great information you've shared with our audience and a wonderful way to round out our discussion on tuberous sclerosis complex. Dr. Teal, it was great having you on the program. Well, thank you very much. Always happy to talk about tuberous sclerosis complex. This episode of NeuroFrontiers was supported by Greenwich Biosciences, the U.S. leader in the field of cannabinoid prescription medicines. To access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash NeuroFrontiers where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.